Good morning. So, number one, we are, if you're new with us, we're completely family friendly. I hope your kids got one of those activity packs. If they need something to keep their hands busy, uh, let them at it. Um, if they want to find one of the activity tables, uh, they're more than welcome to do that as well. Uh, if your kid makes noise, we don't care. My kids make a lot of noise. I got four. Um, so whatever noise I hear this morning is nothing compared to what I hear at my house. Uh, so we are family friendly and I uh, just want you to relax and enjoy yourself this morning. I want to repeat again that after uh, a time of teaching this morning, um, I will invite the kids to come up here and be with me while we sing a song at the end. And after we have a little bit of a discussion among the kids, uh, we will disperse for the egg hunt uh, after this. So um, uh, if you're new with us as well, uh, we don't always meet at the farmer's market. Uh, we have a facility on 127 North Main, about a block that way. We'll be there for about another two months, and then we are relocating to the corner of Market and South. Uh, if you've been in Benton very long, it used to be the Dollar General. Uh, we're going to take part of that. They're currently building it for us. We've got new walls up in there. That's exciting. Uh, so we've been kind of waiting through COVID uh, to see that happen, and it's taking place right now. So um, don't come to the Farmer's Market next week. Go to 127 North Main if you want to come hang out with us next week. So um, we're going to start a new discussion this morning based on the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, I've just been reading it in my own time. And um, I don't talk to you this morning as like, let me tell you what I've concluded. It's more of a, here's the journey I'm on. Uh, and I wanted to invite you to go with me. Because uh, I, I really hadn't concluded a heck of a whole lot when it comes to the book of Ecclesiastes, but I, I felt it appropriate for us to to share in this journey together. So, um, it, you may be surprised to know because I don't look like it, but I am 41 years old. <laughs> Who was that? 41 years old. Um, it's hard to say out loud. Like I can, I, I'm okay until somebody asks me and I say it out loud and it's hard to vocalize. Uh, but 41 is different than 31, okay? Um, at 31, when I, when I think about myself at 31, uh, I think I was at my peak. 31's your prime, 31, 32, because for me it was the place where my mental capacity and my physical capacity kind of intersected. Um, before 32, I'm surprised I didn't break more stuff because of stupidity, uh, but I was strong in stature and growing in mental wisdom. Uh, that has gone downhill. Uh, my body hurts now. But at 31, when I think about that, all I wanted to do was succeed. I wanted to succeed at building something. I wanted to grow something, uh, and, and, and I wanted to... Uh, be used in changing something that was good. Like I was a doer and a builder, uh, not in the same way I'm a builder now. We have a, a business where I actually do build. But in those days, I just wanted to build something with my life. I wanted to succeed in it. Um, but 41 is different. Like there's been a shift. That was 31 and here we are at 41, um, I don't know about y'all, but for me and my wife, the favorite part of our day, every day, is when my head hits the pillow. Do y'all like just hit the pillow and be like, 
Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> She's a, yeah. Uh. But recently, I, like when I turned 41 and my head hit the pillow, there, there's been a shift. And, and I've experienced something uh, that I consider to be a bit strange. And it's even stranger to my wife when I try to vocalize what happens when I hit the pillow now at the age 41. At age 41, when my head started hitting the pillow, I have this immediate thought that says, didn't I just do this? I tried to tell my wife that, and she's like, you're weird, but for real. And then I tried to tell Tyler at work one day, and I think he thinks I was depressed. Um, But it's like I lay down at the end of a day, and I'm like, God, I feel like I just did this. Like, and then I think to myself, I'm going to lay down tomorrow night, and I'm going to have the same exact feeling again. It's like I was just here. And then it concludes, because once you get over the proverbial hill, you have this thought, you're like, man, if it feels this way now, I'm just going to, I'm just going to come here every night, it's going to feel like I just did this, and I'm just going to do this over and over until one day I don't do it anymore, and I'm gone. It's just this really weird feeling that I never felt when I had that 31-year-old drive to build, to go, to do things. Now I'm just like, just feels like all I do is lay my head down at night it's really weird it's really I'm not depressed I may be but it's not because of that Uh, uh, but every night is the same every day runs together and we're just going to repeat the process until we don't do it anymore until we lay our head down for the last time so at the age 41 the monotony of life has struck me uniquely different it just feels different there's a book in the, in the Bible by the name of Ecclesiastes where the author appears to be navigating a similar season of life. Okay, That's why I actually started reading Ecclesiastes because of those thoughts I had every night. And I'm like, man, I need to look at this book again. Uh, and Ecclesiastes was written by a man named King Solomon. He was the king of Israel when he too had crossed over that proverbial hill. Okay, He was in the similar season of life that I'm in. At the end of the day, I imagine King Solomon laying down his head and then picking up his pen and writing what he opens up the book of Ecclesiastes with, which is this. Everything is meaningless. Completely meaningless. Like, that's his opening line for the book of Ecclesiastes. Like, I just laid my head down. (laughs) I feel like I do this every day. Like, what the heck am I doing? This is just meaningless. Life is completely meaningless. When I read that, here's what comes to mind. Let's be honest. We have a habit of doing that at City Church. Um, And I may have some honesty that strikes you as kind of harsh because I I don't really cover much up. Um, But let's be honest. There's a lot of complainers in our world, right? There's a lot of moaners out there, and and Facebook just gives them a platform to moan and complain and to be heard. Um, And in that way, Solomon's opening thought, when he says, life is meaningless, it's just completely meaningless, that's not uniquely different because we're used to people complaining. We're used to that. Um, But for me, there's a difference. I got, once again, I got four kids, 12, 9, 7, and 5, pray for me, um, When my nine-year-old says, this is stupid, 
See, there's a difference. There's a difference. When my nine-year-old says, this is stupid, and a 50-year-old reflects on all of life and says, I just don't get the point. That's different, right? That's different. Or, or when a recently graduated 22-year-old self-entitled went to college on mom and dad's money gets his diploma, and then after two weeks of not getting the perfect dream job, says the corporate world is worthless. It's just all worthless. You want to compare that to the 45-year-old CEO that has got to the top of the, of the corporate world, and he says, you know what, I just, the structure of the corporate world is just not good. That's different. Those two things are different. Um, The difference is this. One speaks out of frustration concerning what they don't have. And one speaks out of frustration concerning what they do have. I don't give an ear to those who want to complain about what they don't have. Get your butt up and get to work, right? I don't want to hear you complain. I don't want to hear my nine-year-old complain about how chores are stupid. But if you've been to the top, if you've worked hard and you have everything you dreamed of having and you hold it in your hands and say, this is not as valuable as I always thought it was, then we can talk. And that's what Solomon is. As we read chapter 1, I imagine Solomon laying down at night, and and here he is. Y'all do this. You lay down at night, and things just run laps around your brain. Am I the only one that does that? Didn't do that at 31. I laid down at night, and I was tired. Now at 41, I lay down, and things just circle in here. (laughs) They just go around my brain. I can't seem to get them off the track. Um, But here's Solomon. Here's what he thinks. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1, you can read it on your phone. You can read it on your Bible, or you can just listen really intently. In verse 3, he says this. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth will never change. The sun rises, the sun sets, and then it hurries back to rise again. The wind blows south, then it turns north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers, they run into the sea, but the sea never fills up. And then the water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. I just imagine him being like, what the heck? What's the point? Everything is wearisome because everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we're never content. History merely repeats itself. It's all been done before. There's nothing under the sun that is truly new. Sometimes people say, hey, here's something new. But actually it's old. Nothing's ever truly new. We don't remember what happened in the past and in the future generations, no one's going to remember what we're even doing now. Like I just, I just hear the frustration that Solomon's in his mind as he's just like at this probably 50-ish years old and he's just reflecting I'm like, what's the point? This line of thinking, um, well, actually, uh, some of you are still in your 20s, 30s. When I was 31, I wasn't this pessimistic. 
right? Um, I actually thought that maybe I was God's gift to my city at 31. Definitely thought I was God's gift to my wife at 31. Um, like, I'm, if, if, if my boss would, like, see it like I do, man, our company's going to be incredible. If my pastor would, like, grab onto the vision that I have, oh, the change that we're going to bring in our city, right? I just, I just had this mindset um, that when my way is fulfilled and we build what I want to build and we change what I want to change, that this is going to be incredible. I wasn't a pessimist at 31 at all. Um, but at 41, 41's different. At 41, I'm with Solomon. I see where he's at. I get it. The rivers constantly run into the sea, but the sea never fills up. Like, what's going on? What's going on? It's like the sun rises and it sets, and then I lay my head down, and you know what's going to happen? It's going to hurry up and rise again. Like, we're just going to do this again. Like, I get where Solomon's at at 41. This line of thinking can go one of two ways. One of two ways. And some of you are like, whoa, this is not Easter. Um, because one of two ways is this. You can go into despair. Like this line of thinking can lead you to despair. Or this line of thinking can lead you to deliverance. And it depends on how you grab hold of what Solomon's saying. Most people read Ecclesiastes and think that Solomon had given over to despair. Like he'd given up on life, grown frustrated, and just wanted to quit. Right? That when, you, when you initially read it, I can see coming to that conclusion. But here's, here's something else that Solomon said in chapter 1 and in chapter 2. I'm going to summarize it for you. He says, I set out to find wisdom. And you know what I learned? More wisdom equals more grief. More knowledge equals more sorrow. I even told Tyler this the other day. I'm like, I get that because I feel like at 41, I know some things that I just wish I didn't know. Like having that knowledge, it's like now I've got to face that understanding. And then I observe other people that don't have that understanding. I wish I was just a little bit more ignorant sometimes because more knowledge equals more sorrow. Solomon concluded that. He said, I tried pleasure. I tried drinking a whole lot of wine. Uh, I tried just laughing as much and gaining happiness. And you know what his conclusion was? It's all pointless. It's all pointless. He's like, I built a lot of stuff. I hired a lot of people. I had a lot of women. And I earned a lot of money, a crazy amount of money and a crazy amount of women. Go back and read Solomon. He had way too many wives. It was a really bad deal. Um, And he says, after fulfilling every desire and denying myself absolutely no pleasure, his conclusion was this. I decided it's meaningless. I'm like, whoa. So I can get how you think maybe Solomon's in a bad place. But I think Solomon actually found the key to deliverance, not despair. I think he found the key to deliverance. Um, Question for you. Anybody know who Winston Groom is? Anybody? Bueller? Bueller? Shay? Did I stump you? (laughs) You know why you don't know who Winston Groom is? Because he received almost zero fame for his most famous work. 
Like other people took his work and became famous and rich off of it. What did he do that was so famous? He wrote a novel that you don't even know exists called Forrest Gump. It was a novel before it was a movie. Tyler's like, yeah, lunchtime. We had this talk, right? He's like, I didn't think you were going to go there, but I'm going to go there. Uh, Winston Groom wrote a novel by the title of Forrest Gump. Uh, He wrote that at the age of 43. At the age of 43, very close to where I'm at in that season of life right now. Which does not seem significant. Tyler and I, sitting at lunch, Tyler and I worked together. um, (laughs) And we were talking at lunch. We had the conversation. Did the author write it about himself? Or did he write it putting himself in this fictional dreamland? Right, Because fictional authors either write fiction based upon like themselves and they just make it fictional or they like, I'm going to write myself into the dream. Right? So which one was it? And I did a little research and it actually seemed appropriate that he was 43 because I don't think a 33-year-old could have wrote Forrest Gump. And here's why. Um, many of the details we know from the movie come straight out of Winston's life. Okay, uh, Greenbow, Alabama. That's where he is from. Right? Y'all like my Forrest Gump? You like that? Jenna. Uh, many of the characters were him reflecting on childhood, the college experience. He went to the University of Alabama just like Forrest did, and as soon as he graduated, he served in the Vietnam War just like Forrest did. A lot of the details of the movie were straight out of Winston's life. But the twist comes is when the author does not make himself the main character. Okay, He didn't write it about himself, like, here's my life. Now I'm just going to add in all these crazy details. It wasn't about him at all. In fact, the character, the idea for Forrest came from a story that his dad told him about a boy, uh, a mentally disabled boy in Mobile, Alabama, who was this amazing piano player. And his dad told him about this boy who was uh, mentally disabled and yet had this amazing talent. And then it said Winston went home and by midnight he'd wrote the first chapter. Within six weeks he had the entire book written called Forrest Gump. Um, He told him the story. And the question that that I just kind of want to pose this morning, did Winston tell his own story through the lens of a person who sees the world completely different? I think the answer is yes. Like, we'd have to ask Winston, but he passed away last year, so we can't. Did he write Forrest Gump, his own story, through the lens of somebody who just sees the world differently? Like, what would would my life look like if I had the mindset of somebody else? Somebody a little more simple. Somebody a little less distracted by the things that are going on in the world. What would my life look like had I had a different understanding? Is that what he did? As perspective and priorities were changing, because that's what they do in your 40s, uh, was he considering what life would have looked like had he never believed that knowledge, pleasure, and success were the secret to life? Because in Forrest Gump, it's so weird. It's like 
son, what's it feel like to be an All-American? It's like he just showed up and became an All-American. That wasn't his dream. And Tyler was talking about where he's like, he goes to Vietnam and he's like, you're going to be a general. You're amazing. And he's just like, I'm just, I just do what my person in charge tells me. He had no success. He had no pleasure. None of that was the focus of life. He just lived in the moment and was able to just function no matter what was going on. He wasn't distracted by pleasure, by success, by all his dreams. Groom is quoted as saying, As I see it, this is a story about human dignity and the fact that you don't have to be smart or rich to maintain your dignity. This is the author. He says, You can do that even when some undignified things are happening all around you. It seems to me that Solomon's conclusion, everything's just meaningless, is illustrated through the simplicity of thought displayed in Forrest's character. That's the whole... It's like... You see Forrest as a a mentally handicapped kid, but I'm like, you know, the purity of how he interacted with life, like, he didn't think that he was God's gift to his city. He didn't think that if everybody just saw it his way, things would be better. He didn't think, if I just build this thing, it's going to be good. Or if I can just consume pleasure from all different areas, life will be good. He just got up and was able to live in the moment of every day. And here's what Solomon says. I decided, this was his conclusion in chapter 2, verse 24. I decided that there's nothing better than to enjoy food and drink, and find satisfaction in work. He's like, I've had everything I ever wanted, and it's all pointless. Here's my conclusion. Enjoy food, enjoy your drink, and be satisfied in every piece of work that you put your hands to. Then I realized that these pleasures are gifts from the hand of God who can eat, he says, who can eat and enjoy anything apart from him? Solomon concluded that that trying to accumulate pleasure, accumulate stuff, accumulate uh, whatever he thought was going to be the answer. He's like, it's all, it's just pointless. He said, I'm like an ocean that's just constantly poured into, yet I'm never filled. I'm never satisfied. I I, I hear and I see all that I think is going to be the good deal. He's like, but my eyes are never content. He's like, this is just stupid. But what is good, what is good, Let me sit down with my family and enjoy a meal and enjoy my drink, enjoy every day that I get up and go to work. I realize that these things are not the point. They're actually the gifts. These things are gifts from the hand of God. But who can enjoy these apart from the gift giver? Something happens in life. Something happens. Apart from Jesus, these pleasures become the goals. The gifts become your gods. Or, because we, we get limited to consume as much satisfaction as we can in the few days that we have, right? If the, if the gifts become the gods then the goal is this. 
Let me get as much as I can because I'm going to lay my head down one night for the last time and I'm just going to have as much of it as I can before I'm gone. That's the only goal we're left with. Even if your goals are good, let me build the business, let me build the family, let me uh, drink as much wine as I can, have as much women. I'm not saying that all those are good, but I'm saying they're possibilities that you can gravitate to. And without putting Jesus, the God who gives the gifts, you can put Him as the goal. And when you put God as the goal, then the gifts become gifts to be enjoyed in His presence. Otherwise, you have to take God down, put the gifts in his place, and chase after them until you die. That's our two options. We can enjoy the gifts, but when gifts become goals, they're no longer enjoyable. They dominate you. But when God is the goal, the gifts become pleasurable. It's coming from the hand of God, and we can enjoy them in the presence of God. I heard a pastor say, you've never really enjoyed a steak until you've enjoyed it as a gift from God. When your, percept- when your perspective shifts, you can enjoy his gifts way more fully. But when your gifts become God's, they own you. And Solomon says, that's meaningless. That's meaningless. We're not hearing that from a 22-year-old self-absorbed punk that thinks... The world owns him something. We're hearing that from a man who owned everything he ever wanted. Denied himself nothing. And at the end of the day, he said, we actually had that talk and said, I think that'll be okay. Y'all know what we learned? It's not okay. (laughs) But Solomon owned everything he ever wanted. And at the end of the day, he said, it doesn't work. So here's our goal in the following weeks. We're going to discover how life in Jesus can set me free to actually enjoy God's gifts more fully and to enjoy life more meaningfully. Once again, I'm teaching not from like having arrived. I'm teaching from learning to wake up every day and live in the moment and enjoy the gift of that day as I get up and I go to work. Trying not to be distracted by the many dreams and desires I have, but waking up and being thankful for the gifts God's put in my life every day. My wife asked me this week, are you, like, I don't know, how'd you word it, but like, are you content? Because I work with my hands every day. We have a company and we remodel homes and things like that. And for the first time in my life, I'm actually content getting up and going to work every day not having my eyes set on something I don't have, but actually enjoying what I've been given. And that's a very new thing for me. I had a story. I'm going to pass on the story. But that's a new thing for me. This is the first season of life where I can actually get up and tell you that I'm content with what I do every day. And now I'm just trying to understand why I've got to that point and why I didn't get there 10 years ago. And I want to help you go on that journey with me that life will be more meaningful and more enjoyable when God's in his place and we enjoy the gifts as coming from his hand. The beginning of this journey is at the resurrection because Solomon said, who can enjoy this 
Who can eat and drink anything apart from him? And that begins at the resurrection. Because how can we be with him if he remains in the grave? Like historically speaking, we know that there was a man named Jesus. And historically speaking, we know that they killed him. Like historians don't argue that. Like there was a prophet who walked around Jerusalem in the surrounding area. History proves that. They agree on that. The question is, when they killed him, is he still in the grave? That's the only thing that's debated. And the journey I want to take with you, it's going to be a failure if he's still in the grave. But I'm going to start that journey and say that we can enjoy life with more meaning because Jesus is risen. He is resurrected. They put him in the tomb, and three days later, he rose by the power of his heavenly Father. And because he does that, we can have a greater meaning in our life. We will not get to the end and say, man, this is just all pointless. It's meaningless. So I want to take that journey with you. We invite you back to our place on Main Street next Sunday to continue that journey. Uh, Tyler, I want to ask you to come lead us in another song. As Tyler leads us in song, kids, I invite you to come up here, and we're going to have a little powwow in the front with me and the kids for just one moment, and then we'll run loose in the sunshine after that. So will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the meaning that life has that we have.